This morning we read from 1 Samuel 19, verses 1 to 10. Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. But Jonathan was very fond of David and warned him, My father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. I will go out and stand with my father in the field where you are. I'll speak to him about you and will tell you what I find out. Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He has not wronged you, and what he has done has benefited you greatly. He took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine. The Lord won a great victory for all Israel, and you saw it and were glad. Why then would you do wrong to an innocent man like David by killing him for no reason? Saul listened to Jonathan and took this oath, As surely as the Lord lives, David will not be put to death. So Jonathan called David and told him the whole conversation. He brought him to Saul, and David was with Saul as before. Once more, war broke out, and David went out and fought the Philistines. He struck them with such force that they fled before him. But an evil spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand. While David was playing the harp, Saul tried to pin him to the wall with his spear. But David eluded him as Saul drove his spear into the wall. That night, David made good his escape. Thank you, David. Good morning. When I grew up in Half Moon Bay, California, uh, just south of uh, San Francisco, along the beach, I I grew up with a best friend, and his name was Michael Edmondson. And Michael was not only my best friend, he was my next-door neighbor. And he and I had many great adventures together as young boys, and we'd go to the beach often and play in the dunes and create forts and and we had all kinds of areas that we, we had forts all over the land around our neighborhood. There wasn't a lot of houses back then. And one of the things that we would do is we'd go into the areas that were forested and we would find these wonderful sticks that we could make slingshots out of. And he found the best stick ever. And it was going to be a good slingshot. And as we're running in our excitement with his slingshot in his hand that he's going to make. We're running, and I accidentally trip him, and he falls right on that piece of wood, and it cracks one of the arms of the slingshot. And he's just furious. I'm like, Michael, I'm so sorry, man. I didn't mean to do it. And he's like, I know, I know, but he's still furious. And so we get home, and, and again, we live right next door to each other, and at our house, we have a, we have a courtyard. And as you look to the left... His home would be here, and there was a balcony on on the second floor that overlooked the courtyard in our area. And I was out in the courtyard just doing a few things and and pulling some weeds out of my mom's uh, garden there. And and I look up, and Michael's up there, and he's still just fuming. You broke my stick! I'm like, dude, I'm so sorry, you know, and I went back to the gardening. Next thing you know, rocks are flying at me, (laughs) left and right. And I have nowhere to go. 
I have nowhere to... I, all we have in the garden is like there's pansies, you know, and there's little bushes. And where do you even hide from this sort of assault? And he, he's just hucking rocks at me, and I'm, I'm trying to pick some up and, and get them back, you know, and trying to stay in the corner. And he's throwing a, uh, just a barrage of rocks that are coming at me. And I, I, don't, have a, I don't have a place to run. And, and just so you know, for future war... Uh, the guy on the upper part, on the balcony, he'll always kind of win. Uh, when you're in the ravine, not a good place to be. So he's hurling these rocks, and, and he's, like, he's like David. He takes this one rock, and he whips it, and it just comes and right in the middle of my forehead. And I don't know if you've ever had an accident where you cut your, your head, but you end up looking like the worst horror movie that you've ever seen. I mean, the blood does not stop, and it just pours out everywhere, and it hurt. And I, I had to run, and finally I'm stumbling up the stairs of the courtyard and trying to get in the house, and, and my mother uh, mends me up and uh, gets all the blood off of me, and, and I just, I lost the battle. I had no place to go in the attack. And the thing that was worst about it, too, is he didn't get in trouble. He came and said he was sorry, but he didn't get a whooping like he should have. As we enter into chapter 19 of Samuel, David is under incredible attack, looking for a place to run, and he is on the run. And as we read this story, the attack upon upon David begins back uh, in the middle of chapter 18 where, da- where Saul starts to work out this plan where he's going to kill him. And it starts with his older daughter, Merab, and then he tries to use Michael, and then he sends people after David. David is under attack. Where do we go when we're under attack? As you read the whole passage, 18 and 19 together, you struggle with it because as you read it through, you go, Lord, this just doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. Here is a guy, King David, who is living a godly life, who is after you and your heart. And Lord, in my thinking, if I'm living a godly life, this isn't playing out like I thought my Christian journey would play out. David is the man. David is the one who is seeking after the Lord. Verse 14 of chapter 18 says, In everything that David did, he had great success, because the Lord was with him. That's an overriding theme of chapter 18. And when Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him. But verse 16 says this, All of Israel... And Judah loved David because he led them in their campaigns. This was good living, good godly living. There was success. There was favor. And part of it played out because because David was tied in with the Lord. Man after God's own heart. He trusted the Lord. He acknowledges his authority. He had the Holy Spirit upon him. He had just killed the giant Goliath. Victory over the enemy. 
in right relationship with the Lord. And right in the middle of all this victory, and right in the middle of an obedient heart, here comes these spears. Here comes these rocks of attack out of nowhere. And you go, Lord, how's this playing out? You know, you may feel the same way as David. Lord, I love you. Lord, I want to live in obedience. You're, you're waking up in the morning and you're saying, Lord, what do you have for me today? You're getting in the Word. You're letting it soak into your life, into your heart. It's changing you. You're, you're trying in the power of the Holy Spirit to be obedient to God. You're living for Him. And then what seems to be out of the blue, attack upon you. You get attacked with cancer. Your kids rebel against you. They say, I hate you. You're attacked at your job. There's a manager who keeps coming after you in all of your work. He doesn't like you. He's going to make sure he's going to make your life miserable. Or they do a job performance of you after you've been doing so well. Every job performance and review has been great success. And they say, your performance is not good. We need to let you go. When in reality, they're just trying to downsize the company, but they lay it on you. Attack. Unfair. But God, I'm serving you. What's happening here? Here's the reality of life. You and I, together on this Christian journey, we are going to face a lot of attack. We are going to face a lot of trial. It's not all about killing giants. The reality of life is we do. We have success in the Lord. We, we do defeat some giants. We, we, we have strength in the Lord and we're living for Him. But the reality and how that plays out into life is there's still a lot of attack. A lot of times we end up in the wilderness like King David did. Running. And you go, Lord, how's that all play out? Because that's the reality of Christian journey. Peter says in 1 Peter 4, you remember? He says, why are you surprised? Why are you surprised by all of these things? Why are you surprised by the fiery attack that comes upon you? God's doing this work in you. And God is there for you. But don't be surprised by the attack. This is part of the journey. And David is undergoing it, and you and I undergo it. But I think the Lord is calling to us in the middle of this, and one of the things I think we can learn from this passage, is that as these attacks come, it's really an opportunity for us in our faith to keep growing, to be in utter dependence upon our Lord. It really is a time for us that we are sharpened by our God. And God does that work, and I think what he's calling for us as we look at this, at this section of the scriptures is that he calls us out of a, a lifestyle that lives in the flesh when we're attacked. That we don't have to live like the world does when we are attacked. That we can live in the power of Christ and hold on to him in the middle of the attack. Because what's the truth? For you and I. When you get hit, 
you hit back. That's our fleshly response. Listen, Israel, you're going to send missiles, we're sending some back, or vice versa. And this has been going on for centuries. The flesh gets a hold of us. When you attack me, I will strike back. Or we join the political debates and we develop our own negative campaign, our attack ads that will go against someone. You say something about me, I will say something about you. That's our flesh, and that's sinful. And God is wanting us to turn to him because we will face much attack. We will. And you're some of you right in the middle of it, right this morning. And I know that the Lord is wanting us to surrender that unto him and to turn to him. We don't have to respond like the world. Listen to what Matthew 5 says. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. We, we go over verse 44 of Matthew 5 quickly. Love your enemies. Come on, Lord, really? I mean, we, we do, we, really? I mean, I'll avoid them, I'll stay away from them. Love them? I just want to just sock them in the nose. And pray for those who persecute you. Where are you being attacked this week? God is saying, pray for those who persecute you. You know what starts to happen in that? In the prayer for our enemies, he starts to change our hearts towards our enemies. And when the Spirit comes in and starts to empower us, we can actually, actually even start to love them and have a heart of God for them. Where do we run when we're under attack? David was loved by everybody. You see, one of the things that David could have done, because those soldiers loved him, and he was their commander, he could have mustered up the guys and said, listen, Saul is a nutcase. Let's take him out of the picture. And I guarantee you, if David had done that, those guys would have joined right with him. Why? They loved David. You never hear that about Saul. They wanted Saul initially because of his strength, his height. They don't see this incredible love for Saul. Actually, they just get, they're getting tired of him. And so he could have taken over. But one of the things that this scripture points out is that David had a heart after God's, and he didn't go that direction. Even though he knew he was to be king, he still gave value to who God had in place in that kingship. And he didn't attack back. What I don't want you to miss in this whole chapter is I don't want you to miss in this story God's provision for us when we are under attack. I don't want you to miss God's intervention for us when, we, when we, the spears are coming at us in all different directions. And I don't want you to miss God's presence while we are under the attack, which again will happen often. Psalm 23 is not just a graveside psalm. It's a beautiful psalm of our shepherd, the Lord. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. 
Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. What the psalm is saying is right in the middle of the battle, when I am getting just hit from all directions, I have nowhere to run, yet, Lord, you prepare a table. You prepare a banquet table that I may come and feast upon you and all of your character and all that you give me for life. You are my sustenance. I feast upon the bread of life. That's what God does for us. He is the good shepherd. He knows you're facing attack. Everybody throughout the scriptures, all the saints that we look to, they all face attack. You and I will do the same. We live in a world that hates God, hates us, hates any representation of Christ-likeness. We will face attack. But the Lord will prepare a table before us, and we can come to him. Psalm 23 declares, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. How do we keep faith when we're under attack? How do we, how do we keep staying strong when it just seems overwhelming? One of the things that we, we must do is we must be still and know that he is God. And here's what I know that God will remind you of when you are still. Versus trying to, to get your, your spear ready to attack back. He will say this, I'm with you, I'm with you. I've taught all of my sons how to snowboard, and they are, they are so much better than I ever was or ever will be now. But I taught them. But here's the way I taught them, and you guys have been through this process, many of you. You know, the first part, the first part is getting on the chairlift. You know, that's scary enough, right? Your first time on a snowboard or skis. And so we would go up together and I would tell my son, whichever one it was, listen, when we get up to the top of the deal, uh, I'm going to have the back of your jacket here and I'm going to kind of lift you off the chairlift so that you won't go crashing down because dad, when he was young, he did that all the time. He just kind of tumbled off. They always had to stop the chairlift for me. I'm the guy. I'm the one. You're like, who did it? You know, it was me. So I'd grab the jacket, and so we'd come up, and, and, and I'd lift them off, and, and we'd, we'd be right, right together. I'd be on my skis. I'd use my skis to train them. And so we'd get over the side. He'd strap up, and this is how we started out, which is this. Listen, son, we're gonna, I'm going to have the back of your jacket. We're going to go straight, and then we're going to turn left, and I want you to use your back edge. And we're going to go, and then we're going to go straight, and then we're going to turn right. I'm going to have the back of your jacket. You can, you can depend on me. I'm right there with you. And you're going to use your front edge. And this is how we started to learn how to snowboard. They all would crash right in front of me and wipe me out, you know. It's, it's a garage sale that's happening there. And, and so, you know, everything's all over the place. And, but we would crash and I'd pick them back up. And so then they got better and better. And it's like, you know what, I didn't need to, I didn't need to hold the jacket anymore. We start to let them go. Now, here's the deal when you let go. You start going on your own, and you know what? You don't feel, you don't feel the presence of me, of Dad, anymore. But you start to go. 
And then guess what? Then you wipe out. And you think for a moment, every kid that wipes out is just like, help, you know, I'm stuck. Here's the truth. Even though my sons no longer felt my presence right there holding on to their jacket, here's the deal with me, and here's the deal with our Heavenly Father. He's right there. As soon as that kid wiped out, you know, within a second, I'm right there with him. Lifting him back up. Helping him to go again. Never leaving them. It's part of our struggle in our Christian faith, isn't it? We get attacked with arrows. And we don't feel the presence of God. But it doesn't take away from the spiritual reality, the spiritual truth that we have to hold on to. He's right there with us. He's right there with us. He doesn't let us go through this battle alone. And even though we don't feel him, that doesn't take away from what is true. David in his Psalms, how often? Lord, hear my cry. Hear my cry. Lord, I need you. Why don't you answer my prayer? Lord, I don't feel your presence. And then as we continue with the Psalms, they start to come around, don't they? It's hear my cry, Lord, I'm weak, I'm broken. And then the way the Psalms, most of them end up is what? And Lord, you are my salvation. Lord, you lifted me up out of the muck and the mire. You set me on firm foundation. Lord, you are my rock. Lord, you are my strength. Be still and know that he is God. And never forget, even though you don't feel him, He's with you. David is under attack. Facing the arrows. Spears are flying at him. But we hold on to the truth like Psalm 3 says. But you, O God, are a shield around me. You bestow glory on me and you lift up my head. Attack is coming and it starts back again where there was a promise of Merab, the older daughter. And the first spear that comes is the spear of broken promises. Whoever was to have victory over Goliath was to get a princess and was to get financial assistance. No more taxes for you. Saul made these grand promises and he kept none of them. We live in a generation of broken promises. We're attacked by broken promises. Business deals go bust with Christians, Christian brothers and sisters. You go, Lord, how could this be? This is someone who claims they follow you and they've destroyed my business. Politics, broken promises and marriage. And even this weekend, I went and saw a film. Even the Wensler broke his promise to the Lorax and cut down the truffle trees. Broken promises everywhere, even in fantasy land. We live in a generation of broken promises. It's an attack upon us. And in the middle of broken promises, we need to hold on 
to the promises of God. He does not lie. And he gives us hope. And he gives us strength. And the promise of the Lord is, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans not to harm you. Plans to prosper you. I have plans to give you a hope and a future. God has life for us. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Abundant living, John 10.10. And abundant living doesn't mean that I'm going to have all kinds of financial success and my health is going to be great all the time and I'm going to live in a beautiful home. It means that you're going to be full of God and his provision if you'll turn to him because he is life. We can hold on to the promises of God. You see, Saul's plans are to kill David. But the Lord has other plans. And when the Lord has plans for us, there are no plans of man that can defeat us. If God is for us, and he is, because you're his beloved children, if God is for us, who can be against us? Who? In the spiritual reality, nobody. Because God is our life. Saul is trying to take out David. And he's now, he, he breaks his promise with Merab and he doesn't give any tax breaks. And now he's going to use, now he's going to use Michael. Michael, his next daughter, loved David. And so he thought, aha, I'll use Michael. And I'll use her to be a snare, a noose to David. I'll, I'll ask for a bride price that will be Philistine foreskins. And when he goes out to get the Philistines, they will kill him. And so my hand won't have to be upon him. I will manipulate all of this. I am attacking David. It does not stop. The attack never ends. And so David, in the strength of the Lord, goes out, not only wipes out a hundred Philistines, but 200 Philistines and gets the foreskins from these Philistines and presents this beautiful wedding gift to the in-laws. It's just gross, isn't it? Every guy in this room squirms when we hear this story. But you know what is amazing about that? Once again, the heart of David. I'm being attacked by Saul. I've had spears thrown at me. He's sending me out into battle against the Philistines. And what does he do? He comes back and he honors Saul with more than Saul asked for. He recognized God's authority and what was going on in life. It's not my time yet to be king. And God has empowered me, and so under this attack, I depend on the Lord. God has different plans. He's going to use Michael to provide escape and he's going to use Jonathan to intervene as the attack becomes heavier and heavier. Have you ever faced an incredible attack like that? I've been a football coach for a lot of years. And if you ever want to just, you know, enter into what it feels like to go and have attack upon you, just become a coach for a sport. You'll enter right there. And especially when you're head coach. 
Coaching is awesome, and I love it. And I love being with the boys, and I love teaching them football, and I love just hanging out with them. It's, it's just a great thing. And coaching can be so wonderful, except if you have a losing team. If you have a losing team, then everybody apparently knows how to coach better than you. And everybody knows what you're doing wrong. And, and they never for one minute will say, well, the reason you're doing so poorly is because my son is a terrible athlete, which they are. But apparently that's my problem. And so I would, get, I would get this from parents. Hey, you need to lighten up with the kids. You're coming on them too strong. You know, they're only, they're only 10 years old. And then I would get, same day, another parent said, Hey, you need to toughen up these boys. Come on, they're boys. This is football. Get on them. And I would get this. You know, it was crazy making. It really was. And so this would come. You know, our team just wasn't good. And I wasn't, I wasn't a great coach. I was learning how to coach. But I was getting this. And then came this incredible, incredible attack from this one woman, this one mom. She, she hated me, literally. And so here's what she did. She started writing. We had the family email list for the team. She started writing to all the families. What do you think about Coach Rod? I don't like him. He's not a good coach. He never lets my son play. What do you think about that? His son plays all the time. I don't appreciate what he, and she's, I mean, long, long letters to all of the families. Just these attacks, attacks, attacks. And so I wrote back. I said, hey, you know what? This is not the appropriate forum to talk about this. I don't appreciate what you're saying here, and, but I do need to dialogue with you. Let's just meet and talk about these things. That's all the letter was in response. And then I get from... We had some Christian parents on the team. They come and say, Rod, you know, you're being too hard on her. You shouldn't be so, you should be more loving and show God's grace and all that. I mean, it's like I, I couldn't win. I was just getting killed. Then it got even worse. So all of a sudden, I get, I get the, the directors coming to me and say, we have this complaint from this mom. And it said this in the letter. Coach Rod, on the way home from a game in Mountain Home, he, my son told me that he was dropping the F-bomb over and over again uh, on the way home, just swearing like a sailor, and that he was saying to the boys that, oh, this one player lost the game for us because he fumbled the ball and he was just slamming this kid. Absolute lies. I've never experienced something like that before. I mean, just flat out... I, what do you do with this? It's absolute lies. It was not true, not even close, not even... It's like, what world am I on? Where am I? I'm in a whole other realm. Thank God, I mean, honestly, thank God my wife was with me in the van that day because she was my defendant. She knew that didn't take place. And so I'm at a place in my, in my journey with the Lord. I'm like, Lord, I, I mean, what do you do? I can't do anything. I'm getting attacked from all areas, and I just can't win this. And so this one guy who was a mentor to coaches, he came by. I said, listen, man, I can't. 
I can't, I don't even know where to turn on this thing. But these are lies. This never happened. This woman has just been coming at me from day one, telling me, you know, her son never gets to play. Her son played all the time. He was the littlest guy on our team. And every time he'd go out in the field, he would get hit, and he would come off, you know, it's my left leg, it's my right arm, it's my toe, it's my pinky. He would always get hurt. I love this kid, but he always got hurt. That's why he didn't play as much as he would have liked to. But no, Coach Rod doesn't play him. And so I said to this mentor, hey, I don't even know what to do with this. And he said this, and it was the most refreshing words, because he knew me, knew my character. He said, hey, Rod, let me take care of this. I got you. I got your back. And I will, I will take care of it. And so he brought this mom before the council of the football, and he took care of it. And never again did I get attacked from her. And, he, you know, he just allowed me to have life again. He delivered me from a situation that I couldn't deliver myself. The next year, this mom and her son were put on another team. And guess what? Same thing to that coach. And then they were put on a baseball team. Same thing to that coach. So I started to be vindicated, but it was only because of the Lord. We face attack in all kinds of areas. I know you guys have faced stuff. Maybe you've had lawsuits just thrown at you. You're like, what in the heck? I just got served, and I'm going, what? God is with us in this attack. And one of the things of provision that I don't want you to miss is that God provides people in our lives to come alongside of us and to deliver us out of the attack. God uses us. He used Jonathan. Jonathan says this, Listen, David, my dad is out to kill you. I will go to the Father and I will speak on your behalf. And he spoke good things about David. Jonathan is the Christ-like image, isn't he? He's the one who, in Hebrews 7, he's the priest who intervenes for us on our behalf. He's the one who covers it. And he does that. Jonathan is is like Michael Orr in The Blind Side. Remember the movie? He's the one who protects the quarterback. He's the one who stays strong. Every football player will say, the purpose of the left tackle is only one job. You protect the quarterback. That's what Jonathan was. And we need friends like that in our lives who protect us, who cover us, when we're getting hit from the blind side. That's why I hang out with Greg Alexander, that guy. (laughs) People start saying words to me, I'm like, what's up? You want some of this? Greg? Wait, Greg? (laughs) We need Greg Alexanders in our lives. God provides people like that. God provided this mentor. And God... I think, wants to provide you sometimes. You need to be asking the Lord, is there some friend of mine who's getting attacked from all areas? Maybe God is asking me to be the left tackle on this deal. He provides Michael, his wife. She warns him and lets him out the window. And as she lets him out the window, he escapes, he's delivered unto freedom. The soldiers are coming after him, they're going to take him out. She uses a 
an idol in the house, puts it in the bed, claims it's David under the sheets, says he's sick, he's not ill, you can't touch him, totally deceives the family. Sometimes we struggle with, well, what's an idol doing in the house? We don't get from the text exactly what's happening there, but one of the things we know about Israel is that Israel struggled with idols. Israel struggled with dual worship. They would worship Yahweh, they would worship idols. And Saul was a man who had really nothing to do with God, so I think in the household of Saul, which David became part of, there was probably idols. I don't think David partook in those, but I think they were in the home. But God uses even that idol to deliver David. uses Michael. God is with us in the attack. God delivers us and provides people in our lives. And the last thing we're going to see at the end of the story is this. He flees. Where do I go when I'm under attack? He runs to Ramah where Samuel is, the prophet. Remember Samuel? And he goes there. Saul finds out, listen, David is in Ramah, in Naoth of Ramah. And so he sends guys out to get him, and they're coming to attack David. They're going to take him out. First group goes out, and as they show up, there is Samuel prophesying. And as they come before him, they fall to their faces, and they too begin to prophesy to praise God, to utter utterances of the Lord. They are controlled by the power of God. If God is for us, who can be against us? If you don't think the power of God just unleashes on people sometimes, we're fooling ourselves. He is our warrior, like Jackson taught us several weeks ago. And he provides people in our lives, and he provides just the power of God to intervene. Three times they come. Three times he lays them out, prophesied. Then Saul's just getting fed up. He's like, if you want to get something done right, you've got to do it yourself. So then Saul goes out. And as he shows up before Samuel, God just throws him to the ground, full of the Spirit, and he prophesies. He is controlled now utterly by the Spirit. And he can't do a thing. And he strips off his clothes and he's there, laid out before God. How dare you think you can touch my anointed one, Saul? Are you under attack? God will fight for you. In and of himself. And the power of God will be unleashed to bring us deliverance. To protect us to guard us. It doesn't mean we're not going to go through the attack. We will. But God's right there. Where do you go? Where do we run when we're under that attack? Naoth was not necessarily a place. It it, it was actually a center. It was a training center for prophets. It was a place where they gathered together to come and worship God. It was a place where they came to grow in God. It was a place where they experienced the presence of God. Where do we run? We run right into the presence of the Lord. Right into His arms. 
I know you guys are under attack in different areas. And so I just want to encourage you this morning, surrender that unto the Lord because the battle truly does belong to him. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this morning and I thank you for your word and I ask, Father, that you would take these battles of ours. Father, we are under attack in so many areas. And Father, forgive us when we attack back in the flesh. Remind us to pray for our enemies. Remind us to to do that which is good unto them so that you might be glorified. Father, we love you and, and, and we know that you're with us in this battle and so we just give you praise and with our hearts and with our mouths we sing unto you, we can rejoice because of your presence. In your name, amen.